Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that committed gross misconduct, thought it might have got away with it, and now isn't so sure. My name is Corey Hayes-Lurst, and my partner propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. Well, Steve, we were going to talk about the budget, then we were going to talk earnestly about democratic backsliding. Now, I have to be honest, I don't know quite what we're going to talk about. We are back to the Theresa May years. This is a, this has been a glorious cluster, Willis, hasn't it? It, it really has. I mean, what, what was it? The uh, what was the term used to describe one of the uh, George Osborne's budgets? An, an omni shambles. Like I, I feel like that doesn't even become close to to this. It, I mean, so we're going to try and talk about the Owen Patterson affair. We're going to talk about lobbying. We're going to talk about a lot of things. Blimey, Charlie. Steve, is there anything to talk about? I mean, Owen Patterson resigned, did the decent thing, case closed with, isn't it? I mean, we can talk about the fact that he was basically being paid uh, £100,000 a year to basically lobby on behalf of two companies, which was then investigated uh, by the Standards Commissioner and was, and I believe the quote is, the most egregious example of, uh, of, 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 of you know, lobbying that, that was in breach of the rules that they'd ever seen. Um, so we could we could talk about that. We could. We should talk about the word egregious, one of my favourite words. <laughs> it, is, it is a very good word. Um, many because of a Fraser episode. <laughs> of course it is. It's a egregious smaller words yeah so the two companies in question lynn's country foods you'll never guess what they make country foods and the other one is randox which i have to say sounds like it's the evil company in the bond film or they are the company that produces like the viral strain that creates like the zombie apocalypse i'm a person paid a lot of money approached the food standards agency and ministers but failed to declare an interest um which you know is easily done i suppose isn't it um, yeah, I, I often forget about my two paid jobs, which give me over a hundred grand a year, and for, forget to tell people about them when it's legally required. Darren Patterson was writing on uh, House of Commons headed notepaper on, on behalf of these companies as well, which which is a, a very bad thing. Well, if you even just do vaguely party political stuff on House of Commons notepaper, they they they, they give you a slap on the wrist. So it's yeah, as you say, it was found egregious, or what's a smaller word we could use? Awful. Yeah, we'll go with that. So, and, and so the Standards Commission is cross-party, Labour and Conservative MPs, I think, deciding on this, recommended that Owen Patterson should be suspended from the House for 30 days. I suppose it's probably worth mentioning now, um, given that, uh, given the sensitivity. So Owen Patterson has, has said a few different things about it. He said that he hasn't had a chance to put his case either in person or in writing, which I think the Standards Committee is disputing. He's disputing the fact that he wasn't able to cross-examine witnesses, whereas usually in these kind of things, like industrial tribunal type, you would just look at written evidence. You wouldn't cross-examine witnesses. So it doesn't seem to work. Uh, the other thing that Owen Patterson has said, and it, which is, it, it is sad and tragic, and I think just needs to be noted, is that uh, his wife committed suicide. Yeah. Um, uh, which I think Patterson's claimed in media interviews is sort of connected to this investigation. Yeah, um, I think it's something we're going to try and not particularly delve too much into just because it's... 
I'll be honest, the extent to which it's relevant to, to the, the, the politics of this is limited, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. I think it needs to be noted, but obviously it's, it's something that which is it's just tragic in and of itself. Yeah. So in terms of uh, what's meant to happen, so MPs are meant to then vote on the punishment. So the punishment was that Owen Patterson would be suspended for 30 days from Parliament for this egregious, smaller word, awful offence, which I don't know if we think... Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a separate kind of discussion to be had as to whether or not that is actually a sufficient punishment for... For this sort of breach, in many ways, that probably does come back to the to the point wider point of: Do we need to reform, like the uh, the standards commission um, for MPs, so that that it is a fair system that actually doles out doles out some form of what could be considered justice? Probably yes, but the way the government was trying to do it was one not about justice, and two just cack-handed in the absolute. Well, absolutely. Well, it's funny you should talk about trying to review the standard system because that's exactly what the government tried to do, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So um, rather than sort of vote on the the sort of merits of the case, I suppose the government tried... Well, I mean, the the astounding thing is, so is Andrea Leadsom. Do you remember Andrea Leadsom? I do remember Andrea Leadsom and her glorious uh, parade of supporters going down when she was running uh, running for the leadership. Leadsom for leader. Yes, absolutely. And other greatest hits include resigning over Brexit. Oh, and don't was it also Andrea Leadsom who basically uh, implied that if uh, that because she was a mother, she was much more uh, in tune with, uh, with 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 people than Theresa May Absolutely. was. That is the greatest of all the greatest hits. That is very yeah. much the the American pie of Andrea Leadsom's career. Um, also, stuck it to John Burke in the House of Commons, which is just quite funny. <laughs> and speaking of sticking it to John Burke, I think Leadsom doesn't quite like the uh, so uh, Leadsom essentially put forward an amendment. Um, saying that there needs to be a new standards commission. Interestingly, as an aside, Paul War mentioned in, in his briefing for iNews that Leadsom wishes that the amendment wasn't sort of caught up with the Owen Patterson affair and wishes it was debated on its merits, which is grimly hilarious. Yeah, it's just like you, you could have... Like, it was an easy way to, to get around that, is all you basically needed to say was, yes, we should look at these things, but also this is a vote on whether or not Owen Patterson gets suspended, yes or no. <laughs> and instead, what's happened is they said, well, well, let's have a new commission and we'll have eight MPs on it, four of whom will be from the Conservative Party, four of whom will be from the opposition parties, and John Whittingdale as the would-be chair. Except there's an issue with that, isn't there? Yeah, that would give the Tories a majority. But, so this was back by which the government put in a three-line whip for MPs to vote for this amendment. Essentially, the government saying that MPs should... Um, essentially, they should rip up the independent scrutiny system because they didn't like the result. Yeah. I mean, there are so many little, little things that if the government had just changed one little thing here or one little thing there, actually, like they probably would have won this vote if they hadn't suggested, oh, the chair has to be a Tory. If they'd just gone, oh, it's Labour, it would have been probably fine. But it's because like it gave the Tories a that you know, uh, uh, the, the deciding vote in the case of deadlock, that effectively everybody went, no, this is a sham system. Um, and when the vote eventually did pass, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more in a bit, every opposition party, certainly the SNP, the Lib Dems, Labour, all basically said, no, we will not participate 
in in this system if and when it comes into into force um meaning that the only people that would be on there would be the conservatives um which would have left them quite literally marking their own homework which and just to put this into a bit of context as well as to how dodgy this kind of uh idea is even like the right wing kind of elements of the white wing press like in particular i'm thinking paul stains and the guido forks uh blog were kind of going yeah this is this is a terrible idea well, so you had a ridiculous situation where uh, this is from insiders Henry Dyer. So 22 Tory MPs who voted for that led some amendment are either under current investigation by the Parliamentary Commission for Standards or have had allegations upheld against them since the 2019 general election, none of whom declared an interest. In fact, the fact that Owen Patterson was allowed to vote on his own case and didn't recuse himself. That's ridiculous. It's completely nuts. And, and so some of these backbenchers, um, well, some of these MPs include Theresa Villiers, Chloe Smith, uh, current former Mark Francois. I wonder what happened to Mark Francois. Oh, yeah. Ian Duncan Smith, Nathalie Elfig, um, Peter Bone, our old friend, um, and Adam Afriyi, who I think we last talked about in our first iterations of podcast when he was running a sort of almost... Pseudo, it was a pseudo-leadership campaign. Yeah, yeah, that was... Yeah, in the good I old days. I he existed. Yeah, well, but, but, you but, think about Adam Afriyi twice in your life, Steve, once <laughs> on the way up. <laughs> once on the way down, yeah. Um, although, like, outside of, like, Afriyi, who we're obviously making a little bit of a joke about there, but the, the, the rest of those names are pretty pretty big names. <laughs> Um, within the, the world of the Conservative Party. You don't get bigger than Peter Bowen. This is very true. Or quieter than Ian Duncan Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, HP Laptop. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's uh, <laughs> Ian Duncan Smith fan, um, obviously. <laughs> A lot of them are former ministers or cabinet sec- cabinet ministers, in the case of IDS, a former leader, leader which I feel like says something about the ex- to which there is a problem within the Conservative Party. That your big name... Not, like, they're not big beasts, necessarily, in the way that that tends to get utilised in, in, in the political context. But they are well-known um, Conservative Party MPs. They aren't nameless backbenchers who have just been like in the background kind of you know doing their thing and trying to make money or, or, or whatever. They are people who have been in positions of power. And the fact that they've that so many of them have been investigated like this is, I just think it shows you that, that this is not just an isolated incident in terms of uh, this being related to Owen Pattinson and only him. This is something that's got root and branches in throughout the Tory party. So I just need to take a moment to compose myself from the fact you've just reminded me that Ian Duncan Smith was once in a position of power. Multiple. <clears throat> Again, just. Uh, this passed by a majority of 18, 250 votes for, 232 against. You'll notice that actually that means a lot of Tory MPs didn't vote. In fact, 98 Tory MPs didn't vote. 13 brave souls voted against that amendment, but it still carried. Yeah, and, and, and I do want to take this, to just take this, this, this little moment to say those 13 MPs, bravo. Like, genuinely, like, I will almost certainly disagree with you on an awful lot, but bravo to every last one of you for actually having the courage and the decency to do the right thing here. The rest of them that abstained, there are some in there that due to their positions in... In, in, the, like like Michael Gove, Gove's PPS was one of the ones that abstained. Act, them actively abstaining meant that they lost their job. They got it back very quickly afterwards. Yes, yeah, that's, well, that's that. related to the yeah. But also, 
if in that position, surely you just vote against rather than abstain. Like, yeah. If you're going to abstain, like go the whole hog. You might as well. If you're going to flash, flash hard. That's what I said. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's about 28 Labour MPs who didn't vote as well, who I'm guessing were probably paired. Yeah. So I'm guessing a big proportion of that 98 are probably Tory MPs who maybe were at COP26 or for one reason or another, yeah. you know, couldn't. Um, but vote happens. Q absolute political kind of wooler storm. Mm-hmm. So, so Tory MPs saying they got emails from constitu- angry constituents, not just the usual suspects, but actual ordinary members of the public. Voters, Steve. Newspaper headlines. Yeah, I mean, the Daily Mail tried to claim it was kind of all MPs, you know, didn't they? Yeah. Um, but lots of angry from page, apart from the Daily Express, obviously. But oh, I did, sorry. Just uh, I'm, I'm on my way here. I, I ended up looking at the, um, the the front pages of the newspapers, and it was really quite entertaining. Just looking at a number of them because you got like just like all of the things talking about it, like saying Tories, 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 Daily Mail saying all the MPs are to blame, and then it was just like the Sun, which didn't even have anything on it. Was, did they lead on? One of them led on Countdown. Yeah, one of them did leave on Countdown, the, 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 and the fact that like. Um, Anne Robinson and uh, and Rachel Riley are apparently at odds with each other. Wow. It's a sad day for British television as well as for British democracy. Yeah. I didn't even know Anne Robinson was involved with Cantona now. Well, um, that's one more question. We can't have another champagne quiz. Is it? <laughs> uh, I think she replaced Nick Hewer, but um, yeah, I don't visit my grandma anymore, so I don't watch Countdown. <laughs> That's a sick burn, isn't it? But so, um, obviously, you know all this, listeners, because you're listening to this on. Sunday, except this is Thursday, so we're literally living through it. But one thing Boris Johnson's pretty decent at, actually, is working out when to stop digging if he's in a hole. And he saw the backlash and went, right, we need to reverse ferret out of this mess. Gamely sent for Jacob Rees-Mogg. His shame level's running dangerously low. Maybe we'll uh, we'll have a more considered view into the whole affair. Yeah, maybe we should separate the issue of Owen Patterson's suspension and his breach of the rules uh, from the wider looking into does the system work? What should it do? What should it look like? All of those different things. And then MP, allowing MPs a, a further vote on whether or not to replace the standards board and also a vote into the Owen Patterson affair, which apparently Owen Patterson found out in a phone call from a BBC journalist when he was in the supermarket, which is a little bit funny. But but on a more serious note for this, there is a this really does show show something about um, this government, in particular, I think, Boris Johnson, which is Boris Johnson doesn't care about the people when it comes to these sorts of moments that he's actually dealing with. Because, like, any decent leader goes, we've had to do this. Someone get me Owen Patterson on the phone. I explain it to him and go, I'm sorry, mate. We tried, but politically this isn't uh, sustainable. We've got to drop you. Like you, that, that's that's what you do. It, it's the it's basically the equivalent of you know, you know the employee that's being about about to be fired being taken into, into the room by their by by senior management to explain exactly what's happened and what's gone wrong and this is the outcome of it all. You do it. You like the senior people have to do that um, because that's their role, that's their responsibility, and that's what a good good leadership entails. Absolutely, and, and Boris Johnson very good at accepting responsibility. Oh, ab- ab- absolutely, one hundred percent. But um, but yeah, so the fact that he's failed to do that is very much in line with other uh, egregious uh, examples we've seen. Um, Spoiler words. Yeah, um, through uh, throughout his premiership. Uh, but even within these kind of like little little things like this, you, there, there have been some sort of other smaller examples. Quasi Quarteng went out this morning 
on 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 the on the radio and the news and on the TV, basically saying, "Yep, yeah, this is the situation." Uh, yeah, no, actually, we 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 uh, we're not entirely sure whether or not the Independent Standards Commissioner should uh, be maintain her position. That's a matter for her. Only for Ebb to basically basically go out and defend the government's line, despite it being unpopular, despite it being problematic, and being so problematic that the government a few hours later did a U-turn. I feel this is not the first time either that Quasi Quateng has been held out to dry. No, I'm genuinely feeling sorry for Quasi Quateng at this point, because it always seems to be him that gets put out there as the person to deal with this sort of stuff. I get the feeling that it's, you know, the likes of Gove, Truss... Um, you know those senior bods um, uh, in, in in cabinet are when their their political antennae is sensible it is like attuned enough to know that a wood storm is coming and they don't want to be caught on it so they're just refusing to go on these things or conveniently finding you know things to do in their diary and Quateng, whether out of loyalty ambition what whatever it might be is being a good soldier and going out there to defend the undefensible the undefendable uh and ends up getting shafted every single time because every single time johnson does a u-turn and he looks like a complete fool as a result so let, let's use the opportunity to, to sort of talk very very briefly about the politics yeah. and then we'll talk more about the sort of wider issues so that I think point about Kwarteng is also true of a lot of Conservative MPs and absolute praise for the Tory MPs who did follow their consciences and rebel you've got a lot of Tory MPs who would have been very very reluctant to do this and the whips would have done their damnedest by either persuasion or cajoling or intimidation blackmail <laughs> yeah to, to get MPs to vote for it. And, and a lot of MPs must have known they were taking a hit and yet have had to do that and taken a lot of grief. And, will, you know, Labour and the Lib Dems have already started putting communications out of MPs who did vote for the government on this. Only to find the lines completely changed. And so they've taken this massive hit for no reason whatsoever. And it, yeah, and it keeps on happening. Every time Marcus Rashford and the free school meals came up, it happened. There's been like... Multiple examples of this, where the government takes a line and then immediately, 24 to 48 hours later, seems to completely shift their position because they've realised it's an unpopular one. And then all of those loyal loyal MPs who've gone out there and defended that position end up looking like absolute idiots and end up doing, damaging their reputations as a result. And Steve Richards makes the point repeatedly in his podcast, which is excellent if you don't listen to it, which is that Johnson just doesn't think through the consequences of what he does. It's like we, we are living in a country run by a journalist and therefore the thing is you get your piece to dead, you file your piece on your deadline, then you forget about it and it's done until the next one, except that doesn't happen in government because if you have this vote on the standards and then there's a pushback, then... And, and, and it was surely obvious to anyone that this was a massive political cluster with us. Yeah. That mismanagement of the parliamentary party is just evident. And also, as you say, the, the, the sort of the shafting of an old friend, if we assume that he's done this out of loyalty to Patterson and then dumped him without telling him, that says something. Yeah. Dominic Cummings today uh, implying that it could be to do with Catherine Stone personally, who's the com- parliamentary commissioner for standards, because there are various investigations going on into Boris Johnson's wallpaper. And the other thing, just to say very quickly about the politics, um, as you say, Jacob Rees-Mogg, very much the sort of silent villain in all of this. Yeah. Not for the first time, because actually, as leader of the House, we've not only had the, the sort of the... It's mainly in terms of 
keeping MPs and MP staffers safe. We've already had the ridiculous getting rid of online voting and making MPs queue for about eight miles around Westminster. But even now, you've got the Conservative MPs refusing to wear masks, staff in the House of Commons having to wear masks, but MPs not having to wear masks. Now you've had a big COVID outbreak in the House of Commons. Um, and so it's, again, just this ridiculous, it's costing people their their health. Yeah, 100%. And it's all because Jacob Rees-Mogg is stuck in... He thinks he's a Charles Dickens character and that Parliament should be like it was in the Victorian ages. So that, that quickly does with the politics. Tick. In terms of some of the wider background thing then. So um, in terms of Owen Paterson and lobbying, and lobbying in the UK generally, it's been a nonsense for a while. I mean, David Cameron... Remember David Cameron? I do. Um, so he said that this was the next big scandal waiting to happen and then proved it by lobbying for Greensill Capital and te- sending text to the Exchequer. And I think it was the Cameron government that put in reform on lobbying, which appeared to basically be written by lobbyists themselves. Yeah. And you ended up in ridiculous positions where charities and trade unions were sort of subject to these rules as well. That is just, that's something which is a massive issue. How quite you clamp down on it it's a different. How do you clamp down on second jobs like Owen Paterson has got, but you can't clamp down on second jobs in general because then you've got people like Rosanna Allen Khan who work in A and E shifts, which you actually want MPs to be doing. Ideally. Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to that sort of stuff, you know, there's probably it's almost like you just need a you you need a whitelist, and it's like these are the sorts of things that are acceptable, and and it's if it's not one of those, well tough you you if you want to um serve on the board of of something you absolutely can whether it be a charity or, or whatever 100 you just can't be paid for it I, i'd even go as far to say actually that e- even when it comes to someone like uh, dr rosanna ali khan who's doing like a and e shifts and things like that or the various other kind of like gps and things who are still uh, in parliament and doing their things and there's at least one conservative i don't know if he's in, in the house currently but was um you know a doctor and also went to iraq because um, he got because his, his ta unit got called up and things like that those people should absolutely still continue doing those things but should they be getting money for it mm. It becomes a bit of an interesting case, and I'd I, I, either on the side of no. I suppose another easy fix is just say that any MP cannot work for a lobbying firm five years after they've left yeah. the House of Commons. You know, the stop the revolving door. I, I think what you'll probably find in those, and this is, again just goes to the the complexity of the matter, um, is uh, you'd probably find that they wouldn't be being hired by the lobbying firms, but they would be again in these instances being being being, being uh, hired by Country Lynn Foods and Randox directly, or at the very least in a consultancy approach, in a consultancy basis. Yeah, you, there, there are always ways to kind of like get around that sort of stuff. But to be honest, once an MP is out of office, I'm a little less concerned because it's a little, it's, it's harder for them. Like they may have contacts, absolutely, but ultimately they don't have any power directly at that point themselves. It's when they're in office, like Patterson it was, I suppose now, um, uh, where it becomes a, a major issue because as an MP, they have the ability to approach government departments and uh, do things in, in, in a different way. I suppose but then if you look at someone like Cameron with Greensill, where he's able, he even out of office, it's, it's the contacts he's got and the access to the corridors of power that allows him to to do this. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, and that's the thing. I suspect when it comes to lobbying, it's always going to be a bit of a mess, simply because, again, with Greensill, I don't 
Green Seal isn't a lobbying company, I don't think. No. Again, so it's he's being hired to do something, and yes, he's being hired for a dodgy reason. But. It's the revolving door now. Mm-hmm. So democratic backsliding. This is what I assumed the podcast was going to be on <laughs> 10 hours ago, and I was going to get all earnest and self-righteous and instead. <laughs> and then everything else happened. And everything else happened. You've, you've got MPs who are trying to overturn an independent system. If this had happened in somewhere like Russia, somewhere like Hungary, somewhere like Poland, it would be seen as an example of democratic backsliding because in in those countries it, it's a term that academics use to sort of talk about the erosion of democratic norms. And this is not the only example we've seen with this Conservative government over the past few years. So we talked a lot at the time about the proroguing of Parliament, which was found to be unlawful. We've talked a little bit about trying to bring in voter ID laws, which seem to be about disenfranchising people who don't vote Conservative. We haven't really talked about the efforts to abolish the Electoral Commission, a sort of independent body overlooking elections. And then you've also got a lot of the changes to the sort of legal system at the moment. So talking about trying to change the judicial review or even Dominic Raab sort of talking about how ministers might be able to overturn the decisions of judges that they don't like. Yeah. Which isn't really how the system's meant to work. So there's a lot of a lot of this at the moment. I suppose the question now is sort of to what extent is our system fully functioning then? So we have seen sort of the, the pushback in the press, pushback in Parliament from opposition parties. Um, I have to admit, I well, uh, if I, I'll end the question there if you want to come in. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's certainly interesting. Like, democracy in the UK is still functioning. That, that is undeniable to, to, my, to, to, to my eyes. The issue is, is it working at full capacity? And that, I think the answer is, is, is no, because a fully functioning democracy would have governments which, upon having one of their friends get done for the most awful slash egregious um, example of lobbying that a commission had ever, has, ever, has ever seen, they'd just go, right, yeah, okay, vote on suspension. Let it happen. If he gets it, if he goes through, he gets through. If not, if not, it is what it is. In actuality, a fully functioning democracy would go. Okay, what can we do to really fix lobbying and prevent this from happening? So, even what seems to have been the best case scenario in this sort of situation wouldn't be an example of a fully functioning democracy. It would be functioning um, and kind of like middle of the road. What we've got is, I think, a democracy which seems a little bit... It's almost like a bit of an old banger which is about to break down. Mm. Um, And all of these different aspects that you've talked about there, proroguing of Parliament, Dominic Raab and the justice uh, system and overturning judges, um, Patterson uh, and, and all of this... They are very much indicative of a government that does not believe either be, does not believe in the democratic norms. Um, the question is, in terms of like the, the the wider threat to British democracy, is whether or not this is indicative of the Conservative Party's wider opinion, or is this just Johnson's government? Because it's one of those things where, for the most part, an awful lot of the individuals that are part of this this government, when whenever Johnson goes, almost regardless of circumstance, whoever whatever the next kind of conservative leadership is, um, they aren't going to be leaning on the exact same group of people here. They'll be pulling from a, a wider 
uh, pool and therefore a lot of the people who are really shouldn't be in in power because of their incompetence or, or whatever won't be there anymore. So you then, so, and when you have that kind of such a drastic, potentially drastic shift, will you have the same kind of disdain for democratic norms? So is this just Boris Johnson's administration being like this, or is this a wider issue? And that we don't know yet, and I don't think we will know until we start to get to the next um, Conservative leadership election, whenever that is. Mm, I do wonder if part of it is the forces unleashed by Brexit, where you have a a situation where it has sort of led a bit to a a bit of a Maoist sort of... It's the enemies of the people, saboteurs, which is part of, I think, that erosion that you're sort of talking about. I, I was actually pleasantly surprised that the fact that the opposition parties weren't going to participate in the system had yeah. much effect. Because actually, I thought when I saw that, well, in that, if, if you had a party which was seriously committed to destroying all democratic norms, they just say, fine. Yeah. We'll have nine Tories on the committee then. But actually, I suppose. It's it's a little bit more finessed than that. Yeah, yeah, and and this is this is where I think like well I think that question of is this just Johnson's government or is this a wider conservative thing is is very different to, to to say the GOP over in the US where when you look at what's happening there there's a definite systematic process of trying to do you know vote suppression in every state trying to do all of these different things at all of these different levels of power right down to like school education boards um you know just to try and uh, get as much kind of leeway power and power as possible we don't have anything like that partially in the uk partially because um we don't have power divested in the same way as as, as the us does but even amongst the conservative MPs, you're not seeing, you know, you're not, you're not, yes, you've got your Peter Bones and your um, Steve Bakers and things like that who will kind of talk a big game on a lot of these things. But what they, they're they're normally talking about these things in very kind of like controlled contexts, Um, normally Brexit related or or COVID related or or, or whatever. Um, And so as a result of that, I don't necessarily think there is as much of an anti-democratic pulse running through the Conservative Party as there is in the GOP currently in, in, in the US. It could get there. It absolutely could get there, depending on what happens. Um, but that gives me a little bit of hope because I genuinely think an awful lot of... So many of... If you look at all of those um, those items that you, you talked about, you know, the proroguing and, and, and everything, so much of them basically boil down to Ugh, people won't let us do what we want to do. This is really annoying to us. It's the it's a way to try and make their lives easier, you know, rather than uh, in response to something, rather than it being a systematic, you know, focus on something. Doesn't mean it's any any, any less dangerous, but it just to me suggests that they aren't actively going into this thinking. How can we undermine the democratic state? No, and I realise that as I bring up Brexit. If we had Steve Baker say on the podcast here today, and if you're listening, Steve, you know you know where we are. Um, he would probably say, "Well, actually, you had a bunch of people who tried to stop the result of a democratic referendum." Yep. So uh, it, 
I realise, and this swings around about us, and obviously you, you will have, if you're a regular listener, you'll have heard our journey on Brexit and another referendum, and that's part of how the democratic process kind of works. Plays out, yeah, exactly. Um, and that's the flip side of it. I think you're, you're right, it's, it's nowhere near, it's nowhere near how it, it is in Hungary, Poland, or Russia. It's nowhere near what it is in America either, because, I mean, in, in, in America it was touch and go as to whether or not you'd have a peaceful transition of power yeah. um, in January. Um, and you now have... Um, Trump, I think, trying to essentially say, but just not believing the results of elections, yeah. which isn't happening here. As you say, maybe it's partly it's this it's this populism. You know, the Republican Party quite literally just had a platform the last election, which was whatever Trump wants to do. Yeah. Uh, whereas here, it's that it's the it's the enigma of Boris Johnson now, isn't it? Whereas yeah. it's, it's all it's um, he's a very powerful figure in UK politics, but what he believes changes from day to day. Yeah. And you've also got the fact that because of the way that the um, the, the British political system is set up, like like the, you, you couldn't just have a situation where for the where within the Conservative it's just whatever Boris Johnson wants because there are too many ideological different groupings within the Conservatives to ever allow that to happen. They all want there to get their own their own say. And again, Steve Baker is a classic example of that. You know, uh, um, uh, you know, one of the the absolute kind of like frontliners when it comes comes to Brexit and driving through mm-hmm. a, a harder Brexit than 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 was probably sensible in a number of areas. Brexit harm and Steve Baker in a very literal sense. Yeah. I, I suppose the the other just to end on a bit of doom. Of um, course, as is as is our you know our brand. I suppose the problem is that. Britain is a much more, or the UK is a much more centralised country yeah. than the US. So you can have, the, the governors are able to challenge, and were able during the pandemic, to challenge some of the more insane things that Trump was saying about yeah. masks and how it spreads. Whereas given the centralisation of the UK, it's more of an issue if you end up with a government that says, well, actually, we want to do this thing, but we've got these independent bodies which aren't letting us do it, so we're just going to ram road through. That's more, I think, of a problem because it's harder to stop them and harder to have those checks and balances. Yep. And part of the problem is we, we just haven't... We don't really talk about democracy in that way anyway. It's sort of been relegated to voting when it's a little bit more than that. Yeah. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to hear a few other episodes, including my hot take on the budget, which is now looking a little bit cool. Where would you have to go, Steve? Uh, you could go to patreon.com slash notenoughchampagne, uh, where for but a few pounds every month, you can gain access to articles, uh, a number of hot takes, as, uh, as Corey described. Uh, and uh, yeah, you would just get access to, to unique content available only to our champagners. Our website's notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. Dave Depper composed our theme tune and James Cram designed our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy lobbying.